I want you to open your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4. And I'm going to start reading in verse 12. And I know what some of you are thinking. Brother Godfrey, you preached that last night. I know I did. I'm going to read the same verses. And last night I tried to preach about the Christ of missions. It's saying that people need to understand who Jesus is. They don't. I mean, right here in Harrison, Tennessee, there's more confusion about that. And we need to understand that the Jesus we preach is the Son of God. He's the Savior of the world, the friend of sinners. But let's look at these verses again. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. That's verse 12. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulun and Nephthalim, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun, the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea, beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, Jesus didn't live there. He went there. He grew up in Nazareth. He had visited Jerusalem for the feast, but he went. That's In those days, they didn't have Fords and Chevrolets to go in. I mean, he went on purpose to that part of the world because God loved those Gentiles just as much as he loved the people in Nazareth. And I, this verse 16, I've read these verses like you hundreds of times, but it always shakes me up a little bit. The people which sat in darkness... That's what he was telling us tonight about Australia. They're in darkness. Hey, they're modern. It's like being in America as far as all that, department stores, big cities. But they're in darkness. But these people saw great light. To them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light has sprung up. And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting an net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria. And they, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment. Who is the they? Think about that. And they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee and Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. And my thought tonight comes again from verse number 19. And he said unto them, follow me. We've heard about that following tonight too. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, if we just take that verse, it's a powerful verse. But we often do this, we'll take that verse and we forget the context. And the context here is this. People are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. But Jesus wants to save them. So he personally preached 
and he does good, and he calls his disciples to do the very same thing. The amazing thing here is ordinary men and women can do it. It's not just the pastors, it's not just the deacons, it's not just the missionaries, but Jesus wants his followers to be fishers of men. And I mentioned that already. They brought unto him. Who were the, who's, who's he talking about there today? Let me tell you who it is. Those people had been healed. They brought others. And then those brought others. And that's the way our message propagates. When God does something wonderful in our own life and in our heart and saves us and, and gives us a burden to serve him, then we bring others to do the same thing. John chapter 1, John the Baptist, I mentioned on Wednesday night, was preaching, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And verse number 37 says, Those standing there, they followed Jesus. But it's interesting in the next few verses, I'm not going to read them in John 1, but the first thing that Peter did was go find his brother. Philip brings Nathaniel. Well, that's, that's what missions is all about. Last night I talked about the Christ of missions. I want to talk tonight about the command of missions. Missions, that is reaching people across the world and right here at home, is not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It is a command from our Savior that's repeated in all four of the Gospels in the first chapter of the book of Acts and many other places through the Bible. Fishing for men is what we should be doing. And they started with their brothers and sisters and then they went to the towns of Israel and then they went to Samaria. Then they went to the world. And what we're seeing here is from door to door and shore to shore. And God gave us the only plan that will work to do that. Because we're to reach our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and the uttermost part. How in the world can we do that? The way we do it. We, we pass out gospel tracts. We knock on doors. We visit with our, when you go see your banker or your doctor, some of you more than a banker. we're doing it right here at home and then we're doing it around the world. Now, Ms. Lowe said last night, half of this church has been all over the world. The other half has never been out of this holler right here. (laughs) But isn't it a wonderful, beautiful plan that we can all... You may never, you probably, most of you will never go to Australia. Yet you really can when we partner with somebody that God's called there and we have the privilege. But there's so many Christians, it seems to me, that they enter into well-meaning but unscriptural activities to waste their time and money and energy on a lot of things that has nothing to do with getting out the gospel. And that's, that's what, really, that's all the missionary is. It's a person who's invested their life into bringing people to Christ, whether it be through preaching and sharing the gospel or printing the literature and all these things we do, because we believe that our command is clear. How many of you, like like me, I like simple. Have you ever heard a preacher preach and you have no idea what he preached? Well, I'm going to give you tonight 
Dr. Frazier would like this. I've got three points tonight. And this will be the most simple outline that you've ever heard. In fact, you can write it down if you like, but you don't even have to write it down because if you can't remember this, you can't remember anything. <laughs> it's too late to have. Anyway, that's not. Okay, let me give you my, uh, my outline tonight. Now, part of what I'm going to say is, is coming from Matthew 4. Part of it goes back to my first sermon on passing the test. And those same men there, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus working with them. But here was his command to them. Two words. Go fish. That's it. Go fish. John chapter, uh, Mark chapter 16 and verse 15. Go ye, you tell me into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. People say, I can't understand the Bible. What don't you understand about go into the world and preach the gospel? That's spelled out for us, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. To who? To every creature. I mean, you can't get any clearer than that. Jesus said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And then, of course, he said again, go ye in all the world. Hey, that's our command. This is our purpose. This is our goal. This is our reward. And for when we do it, there's nothing in the world more rewarding than that. Now, I know I've told you the story before, but I just, it just comes to my mind so powerfully. Back some, a few years back, Brother Eric Bowman went with me uh, to back out in the Congo where we lived. And I, I told the story here, I know at least once, but it, every time I think about it, I get shivers and I start to cry. I had not been in that place for 20 years. We left there in 1993. We thought within six months we'd go back. Everything we had, we left there. Wasn't much. <laughs> Uh, we lived in a mud house out there, but, but we, we thought we'd be right back there. We left everything, including our chimpanzee. <laughs> 20 years later, I go back, and we're riding up the road, and I said to the Africans, uh, when we had to leave here, which one of y'all ate my monkey? <clears throat> it got deathly quiet. <laughs> Nobody said a word, and I thought, well, I know who did it. But it, I didn't say any more, so we rode on another few hours, and it got quiet again. I said, look, I'm, I just have to know a curiosity. Who, which one, when we had to leave, which one of you ate my chimpanzee? And they said, Pastor, we did not eat your chimpanzee. The army ants got him. <laughs> then I wish they had eaten him, but anyway... We finally, two days and two nights of riding, and we got up where we used to live, working that way. Well, drove into a village in the night. You have to picture no street lights, no electricity anywhere, dark. Drove in. I, before we got there, I started hearing a noise. I said, Pastor Mukelku, what is that? He said, Pastor Jonas, they know you're coming. And we'd drive in that dirt road in a village in the dark, in the dark of night, and Christians were lined up down both sides of the road with palm fronds, singing hymns. Oh, man, we'd go in the center of the village, and I would get out, and everybody would come by the 
dozens and hundreds, sometimes around. And I would have a word, I would talk to them a little bit, have a word of prayer with them, greet them, and then get back in the vehicle, go to the next village, do the same thing. Then we got close to where Linda and I lived in the village of Chennai and going down this big mountain across the river, going up the other side in four-wheel drive about three three or four miles an hour. And halfway up the mountain, there are just hundreds of people waiting. And they start falling in behind the truck and singing. You know what I was doing by then? I'm a Marine. I was blubbering like a baby. See, that's, that's our purpose. To go wherever it is, it's, that's probably the hundreds of people. He may not see that in Australia, but he might. And if it's one or t- five or ten or fifty, they need to hear the gospel. And our Savior said to us, go fish. That's our vision of the world. It doesn't matter young people, old people, Jewish people, Greeks, tribes, cities, suburbs, islands, deserts, jungles, neighborhoods. It doesn't matter. They all need to hear. Mel Rudder, anybody, Pastor, you know Mel Rudder, he used to preach at Highland Park back missions conferences. He was a pastor, but a real mission statesman. I've heard Mel Rudder say way back, uh, anything short of world evangelism is treason. Now, that's a powerful statement, but I think he's right. Betty Stam, you know that, remember that name? John and Betty Stam were beheaded in China back in the 40s. Young couple just went there, zealous to serve God, and God used them. But Betty Stam, when she was a young girl, wrote this, Open my eyes that I may see this one and that one needing thee. Hearts that are dumb, unsatisfied, lives that are dead for whom Christ died. Open my eyes in faith, I pray. Give me the strength to speak today. Someone to bring, dear Lord, to thee. Use me, O Lord. Use even me. Let me make one other point here about fishing. How many of you know that you don't fish for all fish in the same way? I mean, trout fishing is one thing. Fishing for crappie, that's another. Big mouth bass, fishing for flying fish in the Philippines. I, I just want to give you a thought. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a man come to see him named Nicodemus. And that religious man, you know how Jesus, you know what bait he used, you know what he threw out on the line? Ye must be born again. <laughs> because Nicodemus, we all need to be born again. But that was, that's how Jesus went fishing for Nicodemus. But you come to the next chapter, chapter 4 of John, and it's a woman at a well, and Jesus' approach to win her was totally different. He said, you come out here to draw water out of the well, you're going to drink it, and a few minutes later you're going to be thirsty again, and I have water to give you. So we don't catch all fish in the same way. Yet our command is very clear. It's simply this, go fish. Now my second point is again very short. But I take it from that passage I preached on Wednesday night where Peter and his fellow fishermen had been out all night and they had been fishing. And You remember one other time Jesus asked them, children, have you caught have you any fish? And the next two words are troubling. 
The first two words are go fish. The second words are this. No fish. Uh-huh. How could the expert fisherman not have fish? What a shame. But we can read the story of those men who fished and didn't catch anything, but the, the probing question to us tonight at Missions Conference is, what am I going to say to my Savior? Do I have any fish? I don't know about you, but I don't want to. I don't like to go fishing if no, if I'm not going to get some bites. I mean, y'all like to sit on the bank and just wet your hook off. I don't want that. I like to catch something. The question for me and the question for you is this: Am I catching fish? And if I'm not, why? Let me give you some simple thoughts about why I think we don't catch more fish than we do. A lot of people don't catch fish because they're not, uh, they're not a good fisherman. They don't even know the Savior. Uh, lack of a personal, vital experience with Christ. They, can got, they have religion, but they don't know the Savior. Back in my early days, I, just, I joined the Marine Corps at 17 years old. I weighed 120 pounds soaking wet. I gained 20 pounds at Paris Island. I ate everything I'd get my hands on. about starving to death. Well, from Paris Island to Camp Lejeune, I ended up being stationed in San Diego, California. And I worked in a servicemen center down in a place called Chula Vista, down just south of San Diego. And uh, later on, when I was stationed at 29 Palms, we called it 29 Stumps. I'm not sure there were 29 Palms out there in the desert. But... I used to hitchhike down to San Diego, and I would go to this serviceman center and uh, uh, church. And I remember the first time I went there, I walked in that door, and there was a little older lady. I thought she was really old. She's probably in her 40s when I think about it now. But I walked in there, and she took, shook my hand. She said, Marina, you saved? Yes, ma'am. I know, I know I'm saved. She said, Marina, are you living for Jesus? Man, and I had to think about that a minute. I said, well, really, that's what I do want to do. And I love going. I used to sit around and talk with her. Her name was Hannah Bracey. We called her Aunt Hannah. She lived in that service center. Every sailor, every Marine, every soldier went in there. She witnessed to them. Well, I was going down there one time, and I was on a Greyhound bus. Left San Diego, and you take a Greyhound bus and get off the stop down at Chula Vista, and I got off the bus. Well, on the way down there, uh, there was another man young man on the bus who was obviously a Marine, and we started, you know, Marines, we, you, can spot, you, can, you can tell a Marine from way off. You just can't tell them much, okay? But I saw this guy, and I figured he was a Marine, and so he didn't know who I was. He didn't know where I was going. He started telling me about how he had spent all weekend over in Las Vegas gambling and this and that. He just going on and on. Well, we got to my bus, the bus stop, and I got off, and would you believe it, that, that guy got off of the bus with me? And I started walking up the way to go to the, the service center in the church, and here he comes. And he gets up there, and they all come out and said, hey, I could tell you his name. I'm not going to do it. Hey, hey, brother so-and-so. And he would go down to that service center and put a smile on his face and pretend to be the greatest Christian ever lived. But he spent all weekend in Las Vegas. 
you know, there are a lot of people around us that way too that go through the ritual. And I don't believe, I talked with the guy, I don't think he had any personal relationship with Christ at all. Let me tell you another reason I think we, sometimes we have to say no fish. A lot of folk are just totally ignorant of the actual conditions in the world. They really don't believe men and women without Jesus are lost. They think they're religious. They've got their own religion. Leave them alone. Why do you want to go to bother, why, go bother them? But can I tell you that it doesn't matter whether you're going to Malawi or Australia, total opposites. There's something in the heart of a man and woman without Jesus that will never be fulfilled until they meet him. And we're, you know, Americans, I am one, okay, so I'm, we are geographically illiterate. We missionaries talk about countries, we're going here and we're going there. They don't. I used to say back in the days, going to the Sahara, we're going to Senegal. And they would look at me like, is that something you eat or what? But they had no idea what's. Let me tell you something else that will keep us from catching fish. Sin. I read a story somewhere about two men. They were, they were just totally drunk and they got in this. It was foggy and they got in this boat and they were going to row across the river back home and they rowed all, they rowed all night long and they wondered why they were never reaching the other side until morning came and they saw they'd never released the morning line from the dock. A lot of people talk a lot, even some Christians, but they they have a sin that just ties them down. But let me tell you what I think may be the very biggest reason why we say, Lord, I don't have any fish. And that's because we are so totally preoccupied with ourselves. I asked Terry Art one time, what's the Terry Art worked out in the Niger, was one of our first missionaries out in the Sahara Project many years ago. Terry, what, what do you think it is that keeps Americans from surrendering to go to the mission field? And without hesitation, he said one word, selfishness. If Lot had won nine other people, Sodom and Gomorrah would have been spared. Uh, I don't want to stand before my Lord and say, Lord, no fish. Haven't caught anything. Haven't told anybody. Haven't given a gospel track. Haven't shared. And sometimes it's so easy to do that. No fish. But let me give you my final thought tonight. I told you this would be simple. The command of missions, go fish. That's a clear command for us. Sometimes... All of us at times have to say, Lord, don't, I'm sorry, don't have any fish. But here's where I want to finish tonight. Jesus said to them, Oh, fish, make it a passion. Jesus said, Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, how many of you, with all the goings on, all the things happening in the world today, believe that the coming of Christ is near? I do. 
that means that we have to do our best to get these missionaries to the place God's called them so they can win everybody they can. Because if we don't fish, our theme is expect the harvest, but if we don't fish, the harvest will rot in the fields. We say, and it's so easy to say it, we say that the world is dying and going to hell without Christ. We say that Christ is coming soon. And both of those things, I think we really do give at least mental assent to those things. But folks, what, what do you think I would do if I saw a blind man standing on the railroad track and I heard the train coming and he didn't know where he was at, what do you think I would do? What would you do? I'll tell you what I think we'd do. We'd go running and knock that guy off his feet and off the other side of the tracks and we would do anything in our power to keep the blind man from getting killed by the train. If I knew that down the road the bridge had washed out and I'm standing there and seeing cars come by, what do you think I should do? Well, I'll tell you what, I think I'd forget my Baptist dignity for a moment, stand on the side of the road, jump up and down and scream and throw something at him, whatever. Because the bridge is out and they're going to run off in there and they're going to get killed. And folks, here's what we need tonight. We need broken hearts. We need busy hands. We need open purses. I heard a story about a little boy listening to his dad pray about missions and reaching the world. And when the daddy quit praying, the little boy said, Daddy, if I had your money, I'd answer your prayer. Now, Pastor and I told you, we've talked tonight, we agree on this. How many of you notice in our missions conference, we don't tell sad stories and we don't put guilt trips on you and we don't tell you a lot of stuff just to make you feel guilty. Our missions conference here is not like that. Because that's not why we give. We give because we love the Savior and He told us what we ought to do and it's not complicated. It's simply go fish. Fish, don't put it off. And if our hearts are broken, I I believe this, when a man or a woman or a young person surrenders their all to Jesus, you never have to worry about them giving to get the gospel out. And aren't you glad, let me just, I'm finished, aren't you glad you're in a church where we really do believe what I preach tonight that people are lost and they need to hear. And it's amazing here what God has done and God is doing and what God's going to do through a bunch of poor missionary widows, missionaries, country people. That I, I'm looking over this crowd. The only person out here that might have a lot of money would be Brother Sterling back there from Siberia. I'm, that's a total, okay, that's a total joke because right? I know him. Uh, the truth is nobody in this church is just rolling in money. 
But I love to think just about everybody in this church believes that we give because we really do believe the world needs to hear the story we've got. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we consider what we're going to do this year to help reach the world with the gospel. Lord, help us to be busy fishing. Lord, I don't want to stand before you and say, Lord, I don't have any fish. I haven't told anybody. I haven't tried to catch any. And Lord, I just ask that you'd work. Thank you for Pastor and all the dear folk here and what they're already doing, but I pray that you'd stir us to fish and help these missionaries get to their, get to their fishing holes as well. In Jesus' name.